Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, just tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? sky, ancient heralds draw ever nearer to the pale blue dot. As Project Bluebeam penetrates the masses' mind's eye, those with a wider perspective look towards ancient sagas and notice history repeats itself. And now, as we exit the nuclear age and enter the quantum, one must wonder if the ancients had warned us about our present circumstance. Today's guest, Neil Guar, shows they have as he returns here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast for a conversation about all this 
the Ark of the Covenant, Crystal Skulls, and more. I'm Mystic Mark. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Fix Some Crazy podcast with Neil Guar. And then Moses, he leaves with the Ark of the Covenant, which was a technology from Atlantis that actually belonged to the Egyptians, right? It wasn't, he actually stole it. The Pharaoh went after him in order to retrieve this technology that he stole. And the story is, so it took him 40 years to cross the Sinai and to get to freaking Israel. 40 years, right? Why did it take you so long, man? Well, the story is the Ark would lift, levitate and float. It would stop. And they were assigned to only follow the Ark. And the Ark would stay there for years. They would camp around it. And then it would get up and move again. And then 40 years later, it finally brought them to the promised land. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and returning to the show is a friend of mine, someone who I'm very excited to have back on. He's going to be helping us understand what's going on in the skies, maybe even what's going on uh, beyond, in these Mm -hmm. realms beyond. He is Neil Guar. He is the man behind PortalToAscension.org. Like I said, he's been on the show before. Welcome back, Neil. How are you today, brother? Doing good, Mark. Thank you so much for having me, man. Thank yeah, you for, for being here. Thanks for the call. So much has been happening, so I just wanted to get out there and speak about it. Yeah, you said that, and I don't want to delay any further. What uh, What was the first, because you said there's been sort of a flap of uh, UFO activity. What kicked this off? All right, so about three weeks ago, there was an individual named David Grush that came out on a channel called News Nation on YouTube, right? And I mean, just to break down briefly, really quick, how the different types of mainstream operate. There's the mainstream, mainstream, CNN, CBS, MSNBC. Then there's mainstream outlets that have mostly a YouTube platform that are known like the Debrief, News Nation. And then there's like a lower version of that is still mainstream, but they start questioning things like the progressive channels that are becoming somewhat awoken and then there's the alternative so this one was like the one right above the progressive kind of element which is like borderline mainstream and a lot of people that were on mainstream platforms actually work on there now right like they no longer work there and they're on these other platforms so it was fairly mainstream but not like fed like federally and they had this whistleblower on where they had a seven hour interview that they broke up into a series of videos they've been dropping every day for three weeks and david grush comes out goes Basically, the name of the video was something along the lines of there's whistleblower claims U.S. government has a UFO crash retrieval department from non-human intelligences, okay? And so he's on this thing, and basically they're asking him, like, are you saying that we have spacecraft from another species? And he's saying, yes, we, we do. And this guy, David Grush, is one of the highly, most highly decorated intelligence officers that exist completely vetted out uh, a few days afterwards when he gave information to Congress, they vetted him too and said that all of what he's saying, he's a legitimate person that worked in these programs. And he was actually one of the people in the UAP task force. So just to kind of give you a little history of what's happened in the last five, six years, as all this UFO stuff came out starting in 2017, when they released three videos that were like the Nimitz incident in San Diego and a few other videos that came out, 
the U.S. government decided to create a task force, UAP task force, in order to look at this anomalous phenomenon, right? Mm. And he was part of this task force. And they actually announced the task force in the first COVID relief bill, which is a whole conspiracy on its own. COVID relief bill, $25 million split around all the people. Last two pages, oh yeah, and we're going to create a UAP task force to study the uh, we're going to put some of this money on the COVID relief bill towards creating a task force to study anomalous aerial phenomena, right? Wow. And uh, so then the department gets created. They start looking, objectively observing the skies to see what's going on. And as they're doing it, this guy is a part of it now. He's been moved over to this, from the Air Force to this department. And all of a sudden, all these other whistleblowers, intelligence officers started coming to him with documents, uh, blueprints, saying that, hey, we've been part of a UFO crash retrieval team that a part of the military-industrial complex has been using, and it's been going on for decades, and here is the evidence, right? So he comes out on News Nation. First of all, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened in the disclosure movement, like what's going on right now. Whether it's agenda-oriented and they're actually doing this to distract us from something, or if it's actually extraterrestrial-related, both of those are as heavily important, right? So... He comes out and says, hey, I've got all this evidence. I can't release it to you. I've given it to Congress to show them that this is going on. But we've had a program for decades that we have been retrieving UFO crashes, uh, UFO crashes from non-human intelligences. The guy says, why are you calling them non-human intelligence? Do you mean extraterrestrial? And he goes, well, the evidence suggests that many of these beings are interdimensional. Right? This is mainstream. Okay? And then he goes, well, do you, did you get any bodies like were there any like extraterrestrials involved and he goes well i gotta tell you that when you see when you have ufos that are crashing that you would think that there would be pilots well the answer is yes both basically alive and not alive pilots have been retrieved so that was the first video a few videos later they started talking about when this whole thing started and he starts talking about the truth and how roswell's real and how they retrieved crashes from roswell how Mussolini had a UFO crash in 1933 in Italy. There was a UFO crash retrieval and how they've been utilizing this technology to basically reverse engineer, right? And at the same time, day after this guy comes out, many other intelligence officers all come out at the same time and say, actually, yes, we were part of this program and the U.S. government has 12 non-human intelligence UFOs in their possession right now. Right. So that was the beginning of this whole movement that's happening in this moment. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I did some typing here. David Grush, born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, decorated combat officer within the United States Air Force during the war in Afghanistan. And he's a veteran of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, as well as the National Reconnaissance Office. So, yeah, very interesting character to be whistleblowing. Definitely. Mm -hmm from my paranoid conspiracy thinking side of my brain how could we trust a guy like this national reconnaissance office and the geospatial intelligence agency hardly sound like they're involved with ufos uh but the u.s air force certainly is we know that but wow as well as the navy as well yeah right and when it comes to these uh the nimitz footage and I forget the other one that came out around that same time, but it did feel like a a distraction to mm -hmm. some degree. And then to find out that they snuck this UAP, whatever, what have you, part of the bill into this COVID bill, it just yeah. makes you wonder why 
uh, a national crisis response involving viruses has anything to do with you going by the official story here. What does that have to do with UAPs at all? And why would they even shove right. that in that bill? Right. So not to go off on too much of a tangent, we'll speak about that just for a second, that there was this article that came out where there's, a, there's actually institutions that have been put in place by different governments, exopolitical institutions, if you will, that are designed to respond to if we ever have open contact with ETs. The COVID situation actually called forth a lot of these institutions to be instigated, very interestingly. And then also, I don't know if you ever heard of humans being in quarantine from extraterrestrial life, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's Yuga cycles, there's four Yuga cycles. There's the Kali Yuga, which is the Dark Ages. There's the, the Dwarpa Yuga, which is the Bronze Age. There's the Treta Yuga, which is the Silver Age. The Satya Yuga, which is the Golden Age. The, the Kali Yuga officially ended like within the last hundred years. And the Kali Yuga is known as the age of quarantine. So it's very interesting that we literally had a physically manifest quarantine right at the end of the actual quarantine with ET life. Wow. Right? And people had to reflect on themselves. Well, one thing that I heard a lot of is people reflecting on what am I if I'm not my job? Like people were brought down to the same level. There was no one better than anyone. It was a restructuring of that system. Not everybody got the lessons out of it. But many people did. So a lot more research would have to go into create a presentation about how it's all connected there. But there, to me, there's just a lot of different things that seem that COVID and the ET conversation is more intertwined than we know. And then them releasing this within the COVID relief bill was another part that would just connect more dots for me. Yeah, it definitely is suspicious, but, you know, what can we expect from the government? <laughs> They've been finding... Uh, recovering alien bodies apparently since Roswell. So now they're comfortable admitting to that. What do you think the scope of this is? Do you think they have like some base somewhere with like a morgue of alien bodies or do you think they've actually rehabilitated some of these? Uh, obviously crashing a spacecraft or a UFO might uh, give you some injuries. Plus if you're a being from another world, you'd have to cope with the differences in our atmosphere and et cetera, et cetera, right? So have they actually rehabilitated any of these uh, survivors? So there's a few things I want to dive into in that right there in regards to rehabilitating them. So let's go to why this was really like struck a chord in me when I saw it, because the UFO crash retrieval program, I've been working with whistleblowers that haven't been on the mainstream for like 10 years namely number one whistleblower was a part of the UFO crash retrieval team, Clifford Stone. I don't know if you ever heard of Clifford Stone. No. So he lives in, he lived in Roswell. He passed away a few years ago and he was ever since the sixties, early sixties was recruited to be a part of the UFO crash retrieval team. And his whole thing, he was on the circuit speaking at UFO conferences. Like one of the people that I would have on my platform would be at UFO clubs and all that stuff. His whole thing was, Hey, I was a part of the UFO crash retrieval team. Here are some, deep classified documents, this proves it, and this is what happened. Here are some of my stories, right? And then there's a few other people that I had that experience with as well. And then when this guy said this, I was like, whoa, this is the biggest validation that this is a reality. So when we interviewed Clifford Stone, that's on our Portal to Ascension YouTube channel, I just re-released it a week ago. When this happened, I re-released all my UFO crash retrieval footage. I have like a few hours of it now on the channel. And Clifford Stone was like, the U.S. government, right, it's, we don't even want to say that. Let's just say shadowy aspect of something, right? 
had a manual of the anatomy of 17 different extraterrestrial bodies because those are the types that they were finding the most. Okay. And it was to re- make sure that if they were injured, that they were able to revive them if they needed to. Their organs, where the organs were placed, all this stuff, right? And so whether it was a benevolent or malicious thing that they were trying to retrieve them for something else, who knows? I feel on some level maybe that they had some sort of interaction and these beings were crashing and some people could have been helping them out. But on the other level, it seems that the U.S. government since 1954 has had a weapon to bring down UFOs because they reverse engineered a technology after Roswell that could do that. So the, that's the other thing I want to talk about is like, so those four levels of news media stations out there. So let's go one above the alternative to the progressive platforms that were super progressive, but now we're just like, yo, well, this woke culture is actually something wrong with it. It's starting to question reality, but there's still mainstream people, right? Like Breaking Points is one of the channels. The Hill used to be like that. So they're saying like, they're just genuinely questioning this. Well, if these ETs came here from a different world and interdimensionally, I don't believe that this story is true is what they're saying, because why would they crash if they just traveled for hundreds of light years? Well, the thing is that somebody on earth has reverse engineered part of their technology to down these crafts and mess with the propulsion systems. So they're not anticipating we even having the ability to down them. They show up after some crazy journey. Maybe they don't even have an update on where we're at as humans and, Right. Here we are shooting them down. Okay. Right. And so Stephen Greer and a few other people have mentioned that anti-gravity was actually mastered in October 1954. So in October 1954, they reverse engineered craft to have anti-gravitational uh, gra- craft. So we're 60 plus years after that, right? Yeah. 70 years. Yeah. If they had mastered that back then, just imagine how much more into the future they are with the technology. And those three videos that came out, the gimbal, the uh, FLIR-1, the Nimitz incident, see that it was so interesting because the evidence suggests, if you're in this world, that all of those were actually U.S. craft that weren't actually extraterrestrial, which is why they never said, they never said who are driving these craft. They just said, what is the technology behind this craft? And then my first question was like, well, if we're seeing these craft in the sky, we're not seeing this for an adversary, then it's got to be something from somewhere else. Shouldn't we be questioning who are these beings and where they're coming from? And the answer is no, because what they were doing was they already had patents. The U.S. Navy had patents on anti-gravity. You can watch another video on our channel with Mike Casala where we break down the patents and show the website with the patents. And they wanted to release this technology in a slow, dripped way but the only way they could do it is by saying, hey, we're seeing something in the skies and then slowly be like, oh, we retrieved some craft. Oh, my God. Now right. we just figured out this technology. And then they update us saying that they found this right now, even though they found this 60, 70 years ago. Right. Trip disclosing because it was coming out. But then the wrench in this whole thing was this guy. David Grush came out and completely blew the lid of all of it and said, we need to go back to where they got this technology. And this has been going on for decades. And the reason why I feel like Maybe on one level they let him do it, but on another level maybe they didn't want him to is because the internet and everybody's ablaze with the government's been lying to us. The trust in the government has deteriorated from this. The main headline is we've been lied to by the government, right? And they've denied all this stuff. See, the thing is when it comes to Congress and the agenda and the malicious people, a lot of these people are just useful idiots, for lack of a better term, right? right? They don't freaking know any better. 
And a lot of them come from military backgrounds. So they're like, what is that in the sky? Oh my God, we need to protect ourselves. So many people who are just think that everybody in government is just part of some nefarious agenda automatically think that because you're saying that you need to protect the people, you must be a part of that as well. Some negative alien agenda, right? Mm -hmm. So what he did was David Grush and the Stephen Greer about a week ago was hand over immense amounts of evidence to Congress. And then they looked at all this evidence and looked at to see if these documents were legitimate documents. And then a few days ago, they came out and said, we vetted all this stuff out. It seems like all these documents are legit. The people and the whistleblowers that are coming out are actual people that are in office. We're going to do a hearing on you for crash shields in the next two weeks. And that's pretty much where we're at at this point. And that hearing hasn't happened yet. That's within the next. Yeah. Early weeks. July. They're wow. going to do the hearing. Yeah. Okay. So Greer and uh, Ben and David Grush are working together. They're not working together. No. But David Grush came out to Greer three years ago. Okay. So he came out and spoke to Greer, and Greer had this conversation with him. But then David Grush came out with this information, and Stephen Greer's press conference in Washington, D.C., that has a few million views, is just last week in D.C. on YouTube. That was huge, man. Like, so what happened was, he already had that scheduled for months and it just happened to be like three days after David Grush came out. It was almost like David Grush and the people knew about it or something that they wanted to get ahead of it possibly. So it was happening at two different avenues, two different angles, but I don't believe David Grush is in communication with Greer at this point. He's just going straight mainstream. Whereas David Grush, uh, where Greer, even though he's pretty well known is really much going through the grassroots level of just informing the people. So on his press, on his press, the press club event that he did, Stephen Greer, he had a few of the whistleblowers come up there and speak about their experiences. And the things that they were saying, man, were some atrocities and crimes against humanity, like hardcore people being died and killed, massacred, threatened, families being threatened, human trafficking. All this stuff is occurring under the umbrella of the secrecy for UFOs. Right. So they were coming out with this story of what was going on. A few of these people were regular military officials that stumbled on an area where there was a UFO. And they told this story of what happened. The last guy that went up, he was a contractor working for Raytheon in Antarctica, in the South Pole. So there's been, I don't know if you've ever come across the people talking about Antarctica, pyramids in Antarctica, and the secret bases in Antarctica, the Nazis going down to Antarctica, all these things, right? They're all elusive possible conspiracy theories that could be true. This guy freaking validated it all. Came out, Raytheon contractors, and he said that the UFOs that are coming into our, into our atmosphere are actually emanating a specific type of like photon light, I forget the name, what it was called now, that is able to be tracked. However, the best way, the best place with the least amount of interference to track it is at the South Pole in Antarctica. So the station in Antarctica is actually an air control station for UFOs, right? And there they have something called, a, they have a directed energy weapon that is an energy generating device that he has no idea where they're getting this energy from, but there's something underneath the surface in Antarctica that they're pulling energy from. And this device is able to create earthquakes around the world and they've been using it for it. So there's a couple of things that came out there that they, these weapons that people say they have and how they can control the weather, create earthquakes and stabilize countries. This guy from Raytheon is straight up saying it's real. And then he's also saying that 
Antarctica, the reason why we can't go down there is they're actually using it as a way station to control the ins and outs of UFOs entering our planet. Wow. Excuse me. And just for the audience sake, my eyes are not watering because this is making me emotional. Uh, As much as moving as Neil is, this is uh, a result of the blue light on my computer, which I just changed. So now we're working with red light, which should hopefully save my contacts from bursting in my eyes. But uh, yeah, this is really interesting stuff. I recently had a guest on the show named Ryder Lee who discussed his uh, suspicion that there's an overlap between MKUltra and the UFO programs. And this is based on his dozens and dozens of interviews with people, whistleblowers, people in the ufology field, etc. And what you just suggested sounds a bit like it fits with what he's suggesting, that things underneath this UFO umbrella are sort of allowing for things like human trafficking and other atrocities to be covered up and dealt with maybe by the federal government or even they're acting these things out uh, under that guise of, oh, well, we're just chasing down UFOs and protecting the country. Is that similar to what you're suggesting? Yeah, and then a few people that I work with that have been in the MKUltra program, like Misha Johnston, right? So her MKUltra story And like, I'm not going to get into her story because she got brutally abused in it. And ever since she was a child, oh, it was all connected to ETs. Her whole story is about the different ETs she was visiting and seeing and stuff. And so, yeah, the whole UFO ET question seems to be deeply connected to all of that. Now, I wonder, this is sort of unrelated. Uh, A friend of mine, Garrett Blackburn, was on the show recently talking about Neanderthal predation theory and how uh, trauma and uh, predation events, disasters have like a snapshot flash effect on our DNA. And, and some scientists think that because Neanderthals were attacking humans in our ancient past, this created some interesting behavioral adaptations which evolved us into the human being homo sapiens that we are today so i wonder if aliens and the elites the people in power are engaging in a similar sort of practice where through traumatic events rituals even on a mass scale with the media they're sort of uh, adjusting our dna or uh, creating an evolution in us do you think that could be going on are you feeling the evolution, like they're creating a positive evolution or are they attempting to stop something from happening? Well, that's the thing. I'm just neutrally thinking that's what's going on. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to add uh, my own. I, obviously, I think there's a nefarious angle to it. I think a lot of us suppose that, but I'm not going to rule out that there could be a benevolent angle to it as well, where even if it's not actually as they think they're doing good, right? They, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that goes to something I actually shared with someone today was when we were speaking about this stuff is that there was a CIA whistleblower that came out a few years ago, also vetted out CIA woman director within the CIA. And she said, you got to realize nobody thinks they're the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Every, I mean, the people in power, they're willing to uh, kill some thousands to save the rest of us, right? I mean, yeah. these are the kind of big decisions that they make on a daily basis. And I wonder if aliens in the same way uh we see 
smaller, comp- less complex, rather, less complex animal species evolving over smaller time scales. Maybe we, just because we're more complex, we're evolving over this large time scale. And then these future beings, let's say aliens are from the future, are coming here to speed up this change so we can, yeah, yeah. I don't know, adapt to whatever's that, coming. That I would agree with because when it comes to the evidence that humans have been seeded on this planet or there was a native population maybe that wasn't homo sapien and then there was an, something happened where, well, Billy Carson speaks about this. What really happened was that our DNA strands were shortened and telomeres were put on the end of it, shortening our lives during 100 years. And this is actually conventionally accepted by like mainstream scientists. Like there was an evolutionary phase, a quantum leap in our evolution that completely shifted our DNA. They don't go into the details of what that shift actually did, but you know he goes deeper into it and says that, well, the telomeres are what decays and what actually causes death. Therefore, he probably lived longer before that. And then the story of the Anunnaki, the Indian story, of, um, the Indian story of genetic manipulation happening on the planet. So I feel there has been many, actually, not just the Anunnaki story, but there's been many seedings on Earth of genetic manipulation occurring, even maybe cloning, that has created different types of species. And a lot of times when we have these stories in ancient texts about this kind of manipulation of DNA, it's not always the same story. Sometimes it's a different seeding off of planet Earth. And they're all humanoids, hominoids. They're all hominoids, but they're not all homo sapiens sapiens, mm. right? So, and what's happening now is like, in, not to get too into the esoteric, even though I'm deeply into that stuff, like, because I want to get really like kind of linear with this. because I want to like prove it scientifically where people talk about the 12 strand DNA. People talk about our chakras being activated or using more of our brains and all that stuff. So that in itself is evolution because we've been limited. So the science behind it is that you and I, we only perceive and able to operate within a certain band with the frequency, right? Something is going on the planet that is in alignment with the position of our solar system within our galaxy. That's provable. You can see where our solar system is. You can see what the galactic weather is in those areas and what effect it has on humans and our consciousness. So the universe is supporting our evolution at this point. Now these beings are coming down and we start tapping into the hybrid program of them manipulating our DNA and attempting to create a hybridized version of who we are to advance the human race. And a lot of times when they're coming down and doing this, they're impregnating our own women on earth in order for them to give birth to a new hybrid race. Right. And just to kind of bring it back to how that hybrid thing could be actually based on reality, Lou Elizondo and a few other whistleblowers like Chris Mellon, when they came out, they were given the, they were told that they could say all this stuff, but they can't talk about a hybrid program. They can't talk about hybrids. Of course not. (laughs) Well, and now we see with the pharmaceutical medicine industry being more and more invasive, we'll just say it certainly feels like they're hybridizing us uh, to become this kind of, uh, I guess, externalized immune system type of being where our immune system has to be bought and paid for because we don't deserve to have one ourselves, right? This is seems like that's the type of hybrid we're heading towards where we're yeah. more easily uh, made money off of. But right. back to what originally got us down this tangent with the traumatic UFO encounters, you know, I do think that there's, when you examine the breadth of UFO encounters, it does feel like 
rather than a predatory relationship, it's more of a animal husbandry type relationship where these aliens come and do tests on us to make sure we're uh, we're a good herd and then they leave they take some of us uh, as uh, maybe food or resource or who knows what they use us for Uh, but it does seem like it's more of a farmer to to domesticate animal relationship rather than like a tiger and a herd of sheep right 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 so that brings up three things in my mind Mm. and it, first, the first thing is the whole concept of are they a threat? Okay, and so people are finally saying on the mainstream. Well, if you're saying this has been going on for years, wouldn't they have attacked us already? Wouldn't they have done something? And then all most of the cases, there's been a couple of people that said there's been dogfights with U.S. government craft and stuff, but we don't know if maybe that they were attacked or what actually happened. But there's not really any cases that are provable that they were aggressive towards anything that we did. But why do they say they're a threat? Well, if you do a simple Google search or my presentation on my YouTube, right, I did this specifically of all the UFOs that I saw found at nuclear bases. Okay. The number one sightings of UFOs are at nuclear bases around the world. So there's even David Grush in his interview talked about the Russian codes being scrambled after a UFO sighting. Things that was just new age conspiracies up until now, right? So they're seeing them on nuclear bases, and that goes back to 1945 and 1947. The San Antonio crash in New Mexico, 1945, that was the first UFO crash site not spoken about. Paula Harris and Jacques Vallée, they were the ones that did the research on that. I just released their interview on Forward Ascension about that. And then 1947, we have Roswell. And both of those occurred within a day of a nuclear testing in that area, right? Because they were testing the nukes in New Mexico at that time. So then now we're going over to the spiritual realm and we're going to talk about Dolores Cannon. So Dolores Cannon, she was doing regressions and all of a sudden one day she realized that she was regressing people to the life in between lives. And there was this voice coming up from everybody, the same voice from every single person. And it was like, it bypassed the subconscious mind and went straight to source. And it was the same energy that we're all connected to. And this voice from all these people repeatedly kept saying that when the first nuclear explosion went off, there was a call out to the universe. And the call was, oh my God, guys, these guys have figured out nuclear energy. They're splitting the atom and they're affecting other dimensions because dimensions aren't just out there. They're within. You can split a reality and go within a dimension. Splitting an atom diffuses that energy into other realities and can affect other civilizations. So there was a call out to the universe saying, we need volunteers. There's a law of non-interference. You can't go down there in real life. You need to incarnate there. And by incarnating, you can actually have some effect on the planet. And now we have what Dolores Cannon called the first wave of indigos, right? Mm. And there were the baby boomers. There were the hippies and all that stuff. So that's the first thing that comes up to mind is that the reason why we're seeing them at all these bases and the reason why they won't attack us is because they're actually monitoring how we are interacting with ourselves to ensure that we don't destroy ourselves. Wow. See, now... Which goes to my second thought, which I'll get to in a second. Yeah, pause that, please, because I have so many things to ask slash add. Because it does feel like the uh, indigo generation had a calculated assault uh, yes. fronted on them through the form of drugs, which yep, yep. historically have been associated with the occult, 
uh, occultic uh, rituals which spawn disincarnated beings to potentially embody oracles who then give messages or even just provide some sort of ecstasy temporarily, right? This is something that's gone on for a long time. Now, the way Dolores Cannon and the way you retell her account, what came to mind is that, and maybe this is something that's been thought already, but I've heard the cliche, if I can call it that, that the aliens are here to protect us from ourselves. And I wonder if maybe that's just a convenient way for us to wrap our heads around it. And what's actually happening is that, as you put it, when this atom is split, the energy is actually affecting other realities. What if there's some sort of gateway that opens up when we actually explode an atom bomb that allows for these beings to come here in the first place? We understand it as, oh, we sent a a call out to these beings. But in another turn of understanding it, you can maybe say that now there's like the energy is available for these beings to enter into this realm, so to speak. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that us splitting the atom is almost like a beacon of energy being emanated, like, through the universe. To that point, it seems like there was a concerted effort to fight the indigo children. So what if this group of elite, whoever they may be, knew with their occult experience that, okay, let's blow up an atom bomb. That'll bring these old ones here that we can side team up with to do some greedy stuff, let's just say. Uh, And then... The unintended side effect, because we live in a harmonious universe that always balances itself out, was, okay, well, here come the indigo children to balance out the control that's going on. And then they fought back with the drugs, and here we are now still in that battle in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, this is just my supposition on how I kind of explain it after hearing what you said, but does any of that ring true to how you see the world around us? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to what you just said, it's definitely a possibility I haven't explored it enough, but one some extra dots that can connect to this could be the fact that Hitler supposedly was connected to ET races, and they were actually right. the ones that were ahead of the game of splitting the atom. And wow. he was already experimenting with anti-gravity. He had the, I forget, the Nazi bell which they have diagrams off that they have even areas that you can actually go and visit where they were experimenting on the Nazi bell. It's not even a conspiracy theory. It's legit that he was into ETs. He was into also tracking the perfect bloodline that he supposedly thought came from off planet that the Aryan race was connected to, right? All that's legit. And he was at the forefront of nuclear testing. And then the U.S. government got heard word from Einstein. Einstein called up the U.S. and said, Hey, like he, like Hitler is working on this bomb that can literally destroy so much. And they went ahead and then took this project themselves, created the Manhattan Project in order to create that. Now, here's another dot Oppenheimer, right? Oppenheimer quoted the Mahabharata in India when he was talking about the atom. And the Mahabharata quote that he said was actually about a nuclear war in the ancient Mahabharata time about splitting the atoms that was a story of craft in the sky throwing lightning bolts at each other so this this is the things there not to think that there's something 
that we can connect together somehow, right? What was the phrase exactly? It was something like, now I, am, I shall become I am death. Something that destroy our worlds. I am something that destroy our worlds. Ah. Forget what the something is, though. And, and is that it. connected to Shiva or is that connected explicitly with this nuclear saga that went on in the Mahabharata? Now I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Ah. Uh, no, it's not Shiva because it was Krishna. Ah, okay. I don't know who said it. Let's see. Who said I am death? Or maybe Siddhartha because I know that was uh, a book it was out. Buddha. Oh, well, it wasn't him. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? You're just meditating, yep. Oh, it's Vishnu. Yep. Okay, interesting. Vishnu. Okay. Because Krishna is the reincarnation of Vishnu. So Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince. It's saying Vishnu, but it's really Krishna because that was the reincarnation of him. Wasn't yeah. there a novel that came out around that time, though, titled Siddhartha and had some sort of theme that was involving this kind of stuff? Or am I just totally... I mean, it could be because Siddhartha wasn't Buddhist. He was Hindu. Right, right. So all that text, the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita, which is the Bible, is only one chapter of the Mahabharata, which is the bigger text, right? And it's very interesting as well because people would think that Hinduism supposedly one of the most peaceful religions in the world. Also, nonviolence was a huge part of it. Meditation was a huge part of it. But their epic that even their Bible was a part of is about a war. Right. And it was about, And when Arjuna came up to Krishna and said, hey, I don't want to kill these people because they're my family on the other side. We've been split because there's two brothers that were fighting over the kingdom of the world. And Krishna said, you got to do your duty and your duty is to kill the others because you don't know the bigger picture. Wow. And then stop space time. Stop like this is like because I was raised Hindu and I was watching these as a kid. Stopped all time, everything from happening. Created a split in space time. Opened up the universe and gave. Well, everybody was paused on the battlefield, right? Showed him the bigger picture of why this war mattered and why he should still kill his brothers. Wow! And then he says that I am the destroyer of worlds. And maybe that was a nuclear fallout. And then if you go to the Indus Valley civilization, there's actually areas where the whole entire ground, we used to be sand, is just glass. There was some sort of huge explosion that occurred. Right. And there's skeletal remains flattened under glass that used to be sand. And this is in the mountains, Indus Valley? Yeah. Wow. Even the entire stairways, like staircases going down. With literally like it looks like it's architectural design with skeletons in it, just flattened, like you can walk on it like flattened glass. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's uh similar stuff going on in Russia and in Libya. The uh tectites in Libya are uh, the result of lightning hitting the sand and it instantly forms glass. But in Russia they have some crystal, I think it's one of a kind, and it formed as a result of some sort of, to the same point, a nuclear or radioactive event in the very ancient past that created this one-of-a-kind crystal. Wait, is that Shungite? Oh, no. <laughs> Shungite is more, uh, is different. But this is, I think this is connected to, not the T Tunguska, uh, but yeah. the other one that killed those hikers. There were these guys that yeah, were hiking on a mountain in Russia, and they all got blasted. Like, they... Their tent was blown away into smithereens, and oh. they were all out exposed in cold temperatures when they were found. So it just didn't make sense. Oh. 
you know, how they would have died like that. Cause if they were experienced hikers, they would have been inside or by a fire at that hour. Yeah. So they suppose that they were attacked by something and it must've been some sort of technology because they were a lot of uh, the remains were radiated uh, high temperatures. So yeah, there's something going on in Russia with that. But, uh, Wow, I really appreciate. We did get into this in the first uh, installment of our conversation, the first time you're on the show. For folks who are interested, please go back and listen to that uh, because you're raised Hindu and I feel like you have such a beautiful perspective because of that on all of these things that, uh, yeah, it's just amazing to hear this story of Arjuna and uh, Krishna and seeing the bigger picture. And yeah, it's, yeah. it is kind of interesting that, uh, or ironic, I guess, that such a peaceful religion has this war epic at the base of it. To, But I think that's part of the wisdom in it is like, you can't understand peace unless you've gone through a war, right? So, right. right. And this world, on this world of duality, that's how it works, mm. that we have the polar opposites and the extremes. So duality combined with amnesia creates a perfect recipe for this. So we, uh, if you didn't have amnesia, right, and amnesia meaning if you, did, if you remembered all your past lives, if you remembered your interdimensional self, if you remembered your ancient history, so many things that we don't remember, then we wouldn't need to go through something to make us remember this because we already know it. Right. So that's what Earth is all about. Like It's about, it's almost like a game that we put on ourselves, like, hey, how fun would it be to forget everything and try to see if we can figure it out. Which is why, like, now here's another mainstream narrative of people saying, we're so freaking stupid and dumb on this planet. It was so violent. Why would they want to come and visit us, right? Because they don't see it like that. First of all, we're the least violent that we've been on this planet for thousands of years. People were, like, marching across countries with, like, swords and weapons at close combat, just murdering people for freaking thousands of years, dude. Like, most of us are passive <laughs> right. at this point. We might be some, there might be some ignorance going around, but they're definitely passive and we're not as bad as we have been. And then, ultimately, it's also a place where souls incarnated and chose to forget. It's such a beautiful light show for the, for the universe and the ETs. Many of them are just coming to see if we're going to figure it out. A lot of them are seeing that we are waking up and they're like, wow, they had the cards stacked against them. We thought if we completely made ourselves forget ourselves, because a lot of them are us, if we made ourselves forget, we came down to this planet, were we, was that spark of source deep enough within our soul that even when we forgot, it still ended up resurfacing. <laughs> that is what we're here to do. Right. And it is like, ultimately, dude, that's what I'm saying. Like everybody thinks they're doing something good. Right. Even the terrorists that think that. And what does everybody want the, from the most ignorant, hateful person to the most loving person is to love and be loved. And even hatred and fear is a lack of love. That in itself is beautiful. But depending on how much love has been withdrawn from you, creates the polar opposite of how much hatred and disconnection that you can create. Yeah. So in this world of amnesia and duality, the Mahabharata is the perfect explanation of that in order for us to really have this world of light, we need to fully immerse ourselves into the darkness. And since we are destined to be at the utmost level of light, right? A lot of times beings, when they become light, they're no longer physical. The test of earth is, can we be the complete polar opposite of light 
while we still remain physical. Is that possible? Well, the only way we can do that is to experience some of the most atrocities ever. And the crimes against humanity, what's happened on this planet, from trafficking to the manipulation to the corruption, are truly some of the worst things that you could ever think of, right? And so even though I see this stuff happening, I am not angry at it because I realize that it's giving us the opportunity to embody something else. Right. It's a test. It's an opportunity to demonstrate what we really are, which is light and love. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, when we look at this world that we've sort of forgotten the grand design of, and we just pop back into it, confused and ignorant, a lot of us who still are a little connected to source. I try to think, uh, I like to think rather that people who tune into this show are connected with their source. I hope I'm not being too (laughs) full of myself by saying, I think I'm connected to source in some way. But uh, I think a lot of us who do feel that spark also have an equal amount of despair when we look at some of the ways that people are being treated in other countries, this country, the way governments are taking more and more uh, steps toward what appears to be totalitarianism. Uh, where's the hope in, in, in this part of what we see? I mean, I agree with you. I have this same spiritual sort of uh, perspective in many ways, but do you think that the people in the higher echelons of society and government, you think they're, like you said, Obviously, we've established that they think they're doing the right thing, but is it possible that they're aware of their role in this sort of play, this divine play, and they kind of are happy to be the villain, so to speak? Yeah. So there's such a good question, man. And so there's two different ways of looking at this. I feel this both. I feel there's those that are aware and those that incarnated unaware. Because what I see this world as is a stage, literally a stage, and we're all actors, right? However, what's the best way to be an actor is to not know you're acting. So they took away us realizing we're acting so that we could completely just be certain things. And as we incarnated, also Dolores Cannon's research, we chose certain imprints before we incarnated, and some of them were malicious ones, right? So we can play it out in this world. So the the destiny for humanity is we are... From becoming actors on the stage and not knowing you're acting, we're going to finally realize we're acting and that we're also the director of this play. And as we do that, we become the director and the actor at the same time. Then we become from a co-creation to a creation. Instead of co-creating and being a victim to the reality, we're all able to create more consciously. right? So now the question was, do they know that they're doing this? There's stories uh, of Orion's Belt and the wars that happened there. There's the stories of the rogue Palladians where some beings incarnated on this earth to escape persecution, prosecution for atrocities they committed in other systems. Some of them were so arrogant and entitled that they didn't think that they would forget because of how powerful they were, what they were. They came here, they forgot. And they just started acting out the same energy that they were doing back there. Other ones are literally incarnated, shape-shifting kind of energies that are completely aware of who they are and down here. And then there are those that are higher dimensional beings that literally chose to forget and took imprints of maliciousness to play the role of negativity, but are higher dimensional angelic beings that did that because they had to play the role perfectly. So it's like a huge 
virtual reality game, a very organic conscious game that we're within that's coded. And all these people have been placed in a way in order to instigate the traumas within us to bring it to the surface for us to eventually make some changes and shifts. So I feel like everything under the sun exists, that there are those that are aware of it and those that aren't. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really uh, harmonious way for things to to be managed. And I tend to think that if nature is organized as harmoniously as it appears, then why wouldn't our invisible realm be organized in such a balanced hierarchy in the same way? I mean, dude, like, I think about things like if Jupiter and Saturn didn't exist, Earth would have been destroyed a long time ago. They're like the way everything has been created and the way the positioning of the planets are and the specific planets that exist allows for life to be what it is on this planet mm. to the intricacies of that positioning, right? And the billions of years of it existing and being put into the right position for us to even have this life. That's just one aspect of it all, right? So just to add more to what you just asked about, I my, my whole understanding is that the darkness is working for the light. And if you look at the Gnostic Christian text, the Gnosticism before 325 AD, before Constantine, there's actually the original story of Lucifer was went something like this. God basically said, we're creating this earth this away from the Garden of Eden. We need a volunteer to go down and give them the darkness that they need to experience. And God's most trusted angel raised his hand and was willing to take the blame and the hatred of the world. The angel of light, Lucifer is the angel of light raised his hand as the volunteer and took his team to come down and give us this experience. This was the original text before it was distorted into making the, this being being demonic, right? So bef- so that was, God also said to Lucifer, even in the Jesus story, God said, gave the keys over to Lucifer. But the whole thing was, when the new age arrives, you need to willingly give me back the keys, Okay. So that's how I see the elite. That's how I see the Illuminati and all this stuff. They're all, the, they volunteered to give this darkness and they've done messed up things that they maybe need to be accountable for, but that's also part of the game, right? And now the time is coming for that to end and they have no choice but to give up the keys. Yeah. But the only way for it to end is for the really huge occurrences to happen on the planet to destabilize the systems that were put into place. The institutions, the pharmaceuticals, everything they do, man, backfires. I don't know if you're following what's going on right now with COVID and all the stuff that's happening and information that's coming out and politicians talking about it, European Union saying like, yo, we were lied to. The the Canadian uh, uh, politicians official apologizing to people that weren't vaccinated. Like people getting the jobs back because of it. So, but so everything they did seems to be actually backfiring and waking more people up, which goes to the whole concept of what we're talking about, the duality of it all. They did all these messed up things, but all it's doing is waking more people up to the truth. Yeah, it makes you wonder, you know, with this recent guy that imploded in the submarine, his son's very tragic, but he was in the World Economic Forum, and I wonder, in the same way that the Titanic was sort of uh, booby-trapped or meant to sink with those certain people on it jacob astor creators right 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 there were a few members of the federal reserve that were against the federal reserve well they they were within the government and had the ability potentially to threaten 
the Federal Reserve because of what they knew, whether they were directly connected to it. I'm not sure. But yeah, politicians turning against other politicians. And here we go. This same thing kind of rhyming. Who knows what the deeper story is, no pun intended, with this guy and his uh, connections to the World Economic Forum. But yeah, it definitely feels like we're uh, we're opening up towards a better understanding of the world around us. I mean, when I was 10 to 20, those years of my life, a lot of this stuff was interesting to me. And what was even more fascinating was how controversial it was, because I noticed from a very young age how eager people were to conform, how eager people were to keep up the status quo. And anybody who appeared outside of that uh, at least where I grew up, had a sort of you know, scarlet letter might not be the right phrase, but people had an eye on you because you were interested in different things or looked different, right? And uh, that was always fascinating to me because I always thought, well, why? Why is it this way? And now we're heading into this, what seems to be uh, an accelerated time where information is more available than ever and people have the choice to consume what they want uh, at a degree that wasn't possible 10 or 20 years ago. Very inspirational. Now, on the front of UFOs, considering this, uh, more people have phones with cameras in their pockets than ever. You'd think that the rate of footage of UFOs would increase. Do you think that the, because this is an entirely different tangent and feel free to take the conversation in a different direction. But when it comes to UFOs and a technology that is being used in the sky, is it possible that it is solely recreations uh, is it solely the U.S. military reconstructing downed UFOs? Or are there other species flying around doing things that go outside of uh, the approval of the military and flight zones and things like that? Yeah, I think it's both. And like what David Grush is saying, like it might be mixed with who knows. Like I have, I'm jaded from a lot of these whistleblowers and anything coming from the mainstream. But even if a part of it's true, even part of what Clifford Stone is saying, like Clifford Stone's testimony, he interacted with frog-faced humans, humanoids in Vietnam when he went to a UFO crash in Vietnam, right? That there are these beings visiting us and flying around. And I, I feel that, I really feel that Earth is a, is a huge light show, that there's so many different craft and beings watching us right now from all different angles, from the etheric realm all the way to uh, interdimensionally around us and actual physical craft coming here. So even though maybe most of the stuff that we have declassified might actually be government craft, I think there's as many as that, if not more, other craft. Some people say that the beings that visit us only come in light ships, and I used to think that too. And now I'm thinking that there's all types of technologies that's out there, including metallic craft, but not metallic in the way that we know it as. A good example is a 1953 FBI declassified document on the FBI UFO vault on their own website. In upstate New York in 1953, there's a diagram of the UFO on their website. There's a metallic craft just landed there. So some of these UFO crashes aren't crashes. They're fully intact landed craft, okay? a lot of them. And he goes, there's hieroglyphs on the craft. He puts his hands towards the hieroglyphs, 
and the hieroglyphs form into different hieroglyphs. It's like melted metal. It's like, uh, what's it called? It's like liquid metal. Plastic, yeah, wow. Yeah, so it's a physical craft. You can physically see it in the sky. It looks metallic, but it's actually some sort of technology that we're not even familiar with. Wow. Yeah, This that reminds me of the Kecksburg incident. I don't know if that's the same incident you're just describing, but in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, in the 70s or 80s, a uh, ship was found in a field with what looked like hieroglyphics along the side of it. It also was described as having a bell shape. And considering what we were talking about earlier with the Nazis and then what Grush claims that the Vatican and Five Eyes were involved in this uh, Mussolini event where the UFO was downed and captured, maybe reconstructed. That's not the right word. What's the right word? Reverse Reverse engineered. engineered, Thank you. Yeah. So, but my question, I guess, that I'm leading towards is the Vatican, at least in the past 30, 40 years, seems to have changed their thoughts on some things, namely their announcement. I don't remember what year, but they announced at some point that extraterrestrial life, if it's real, was also created by God. That was kind of like their statement that they made. And I wonder if this was partly why, because they've been a part of these sort of deep state uh, interactions with aliens, extraterrestrials, or UFOs. Yeah, so I remember that too, and I thought the same thing, that they know something. And they dripped a few other things after that as well, where they said that if, I think one time they said that they would be open if the ETs landed, that they would be open to teaching them about Jesus. And then another time they said that these beings from other planets may not need Jesus to get to God. There was something along those lines. But there's a few drips that happened within a few years from the Vatican. So, and I felt that it happened not too long. I think it was like within the last 10 years. And so everything's ramped up in the last 10 years. So I was thinking that they were getting ready for post-disclosure world so that they could try to maintain their power or to soften the blow to their people when the people realize the truth. Because right. a lot of these Vatican Catholics, they're, le- they're way less Catholic than the regular Catholic person. That goes into the whole conspiracy of pagan Rome actually became the Vatican Church, and they maintained pagan Rome rituals, and they're actually, that religion, not actually Catholic, but they branded right. themselves as Catholic. Well, it, it is funny. I'm not sure what age you are, but my my generation, my grandparents, who on my father's side are pretty young for grandparents. They're in their late 70s, early 80s, and they've warmed up to the idea of aliens. And it's it kind of shocked me because when I was younger, they would never, I mean, they're not really the most devout Catholics. They don't go to church every Sunday. But I would never have imagined that my grandparents on my father's side would ever believe anything like that. And my damn grandfather was watching Ancient Aliens and telling me I needed to watch Ancient Aliens. And I'm thinking to myself, what reality did I step into over here? And I wonder if that's just because that older generation has been exposed to so many years of sci-fi and from the pulp novels before they were even born to the movies that became what Hollywood was famous for in a lot of ways. Now that it seems like they've kind of warmed up, I wonder if that's the same kind of thing that's going on within the Vatican where these 
folks who are now in charge or very old were actually a part of the Star Trek, Star Wars generation and kind of were into that stuff. And now they've warmed up to it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, one thing I feel like is possible is that these individuals have had occult wisdom for a long time and that I believe that there's an underground city in the Vatican where they've been hiding information from ancient civilizations. Some people say that the scriptures from Atlantis are there and ancient Egyptian scriptures. Wow. Well, if you go to the Vatican, actually, and you walk the halls, there's all types of uh, artifacts from Egypt, right. right? So that's just the stuff they show you. So it's like they've been hiding a lot of information. Even the Ark of the Covenant, man, like that goes into a whole story of how the Ark of the Covenant was a quantum generating device from Atlantis. And even the whole information around it, like regular text about Moses, shows that it had some sort of radiation coming off it. And people were dying at a very young age just being around it. Wow. Well, you know, what's really fascinating about that, too, is Ethiopia is where the Ark of the Covenant allegedly went, right? And there's just a lot of interesting stuff, evidence that points to that being possible in Ethiopia. They have a very old version of Christianity that's been around in Ethiopia. But Ethiopia is also the only, one of the only African countries to never have been like toppled and taken over by a European country, even though the European countries had tried. And the one that tried was Italy, of course. So I wonder if while Italy was trying their luck at colonializing uh, Ethiopia, if they were searching around for the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, yeah. That goes into the Knights Templar as well, who had some connection with it. So the Ethiopian thing, supposedly there is a priest that is assigned to protect the Ark of the Covenant, and they die in the dirties, the priests. And it's because they they die of radiation poisoning. Wow. There's some sort of frequency being emanated from it. Huh. The story of the Ark of the Covenant, like Moses left, first of all, the whole story of the slaves in Egypt, that's all a little bit of info, a truth with a lot of disinfo. There's actually evidence to suggest they weren't actually slaves. And then Moses, he leaves with the Ark of the Covenant, which was a technology from Atlantis that actually belonged to the Egyptians, right? It wasn't, he actually stole it. The Pharaoh went after him in order to retrieve this technology that they stole. And the story is, so it took him 40 years to cross the Sinai and to get to freaking Israel. 40 years, right? Why did it take you so long, man? Well, the story is the ark would lift, levitate and float. It would stop, and they were assigned to only follow the ark. And the ark would stay there for years. They would camp around it, and then it would get up and move again. And then 40 years later, it finally brought them to the promised land. Wow. Which is kind of a mystical story in itself, right? Yeah. And this is what the Old Testament is based on in a lot of ways, right? I mean, this is what they were doing. I even remember the manna, right, was an aspect of this story where some sort of food was created for them to eat. Right, right. And supposedly manna had psychedelic properties as well. Huh. Well, that would make the 40 years go by pretty quick. (laughs) No, right? Well, the manna was actually connected to... uh, burning bush story okay even when he was to mount sinai and he saw god and god gave him the 10 tablets of creation which is crazy because the 10 uh, commandments comes from the 12 commandments of egypt okay so they weren't actually created that moment it was just another commandment from egypt yeah it was even the gods the gods that slaves worshipped there was no israeli gods they worshipped isis Mm. because isis was the god that was benevolent to the slaves they weren't slaves they were indentured servants 
because the Egyptians fought a war for the Israelites who weren't Israelites at the point. They were just a tribe. And when they fought the war for them, they were indebted for a certain amount of years to pay off that debt for fighting the war. And it was getting to the end of that debt and they were let go. And Moses was the guy that took them out. And then the technology was stolen. But when they went into the desert, they were worshiping Egyptian gods. They worshiped ISIS, but now they're in the desert and it's hot and they're dying because of heat exhaustion, lack of water, lack of food. So they started worshiping the next deity they knew, Ra Amen, the sun god, because the sun was killing them, right? And then they get to the promised land, and the promised land was uh, uh, the uh, Phoenician Canaanites. So this is the original story of the war between the Israelis and the Palestinians, because this is the Phoenician Canaanites with the future Palestinians, right? So they get there, and the Phoenician Canaanites have another god. They kill everybody in Jericho, right? And then with a sound device, because they blow trumpets for three days outside and everything crumbles, right? Some sort of technology. And then they murder everybody and they adopt the next God, which was the God of the Phoenician Canaanites, Elohim. Okay. Isis, Ra'amen, Elohim, Israel. <laughs> wow. Three gods created one religion. It was never ever a monotheistic religion. And then you look at the Old Testament, Yahweh, which was the name that they gave after it to all those gods, said, you must worship me over the other gods. Well, if it's only monotheistic, why is God telling you not to worship the other gods? Right. Right. Um, yeah, that was the first thing I remember questioning when I was a young kid in Catholic school. I don't think it was a right away, but eventually I started questioning things. And I'm like, yeah, what's the point of making that claim if there are all these other gods and yeah. you're, the God says that. So, but I, I'm really impressed. I feel like I, I need to go back and do more reading, but I like the way you just gave us stories that I'm familiar with in an order that I didn't know they were in that order. So thank you, Neil. Story time. These, the, the, that Israel story was one of the first things I learned in 2001. Okay. And, and that was the same time I was reading the Sumerian Tablets of Creation. Literally, the whole Old Testament is verbatim taken from Sumerian tablets. The main difference is instead of saying beings from the stars that come from this planet, it says God. Right. Yeah, and it does feel like uh, there's this kind of, again, back to that farm animal humans on this quarantine planet, it does yeah. feel like there's that other force uh, this superior force that humans have been indebted to. And I wonder when it comes to UFOs and extraterrestrials, are we being given the same beings, just in a different sort of description, a different clothing? They're, they're the same beings we interacted with thousands of years ago. They're just appearing now in a more updated form. Yeah, quite possibly. Mm. I mean, when it comes to, like, there's this guy called Paul Wallace, who is a guy I work with as well, creates some amazing books. He was a pastor that became into this world. And he wrote a book called Echoes of Eden and Scars of Eden. Mm. And he just got a new one coming out. And he speaks about how in 700 BC, there was a, there was a monotheistic push around the whole planet, that religions around the whole planet that had multiple gods all of a sudden just adopted one God. But what actually occurred was that, like, for example, in Judaism, the Israelites, they were worshiping many gods. 
And then they chose one of those gods and they gave that same name to every story of every other god. So all the benevolent God, all the benevolent stories and all these other stories, and it's just been recycled information. Even the story of Krishna is the same as Jesus. It's recycled over and over. So whether these beings are the same beings and they've lived for so long and they keep coming down here or not, I'm not sure. But I do feel that there have been many different civilizations and extraterrestrial races that have interacted with us. And a lot of times those stories have kind of merged together yeah. and created. It's really, it's almost... Like, I started this from trying to find out the root of all religion, going further and back, trying to figure it out. I spent so much time following bloodlines, following genetic migrations of cultures and all these things. And the more and more I did this, I just realized that it's almost impossible to figure out. Because so many things, like this tribe came in here, brought up this influence, this tribe worshipped this tribe, and these gods combined with this religion, and multiple religions created this religion. So can I challenge really to find out what the truth is. Yeah, I... You brought to mind a book that you may uh, be familiar with. It's called Rivers of Life, Sources and Streams of the Faiths of Man in All Lands. And it's a very, very dated book. Uh, It was republished in 2005, but I think it was originally written in like the 1800s because it's public domain now. Right. But he has this amazing chart in this book where he essentially does a diagram map like rivers of all of the different streams of religions and how they branch off from four or five original sort of cultures and then just kind of interact with each other and create new offshoots and it becomes like this tree diagram that's very long it's like a six page fold out in a book but uh please look at it because you may find something there that sparks that interest again because i think even he gave up uh because it's such a monumental task to try to do but you know obviously with this type of work a lot of people call suspicion upon it or it's not exactly like historically uh accurate is what other critics say about it but i think that's just that's something that is a side effect of his time period that he's writing from just because he had less access to information and probably also had a biased view of cultures that weren't european so that that is one what's the name of the book again it's called rivers of life streams of uh Streams of faith in all man. All right, I got it here. Yeah, you'll find it. But yeah, that's one thing that you just brought to mind. But yeah, I have a similar interest in in seeing where everything kind of fits together. I don't know what that is, but when I was younger, there was a a term for it called, I think it's ontology, which is like the study of the world. And since then, I haven't been able to find that same Wikipedia page. I think they took it down. They don't want us knowing that there's a study of the world anymore uh, for some reason, unless they just changed the name for some reason. But yeah, it it does feel like there's a composite view that we're missing. And maybe that's just because of this amnesia that we basically volunteer for when we incarnate here. Right, right, right. Yeah, like... So even Portal to Sanji, like my first question in 2001 was I was seeing all the connections with Hinduism and different religions. So I was like, well, is there a root of all religion? That's how I found the Sumerian scriptures. And now I'm realizing that actually they made it seem like 
Sumer was actually the oldest civilization. That, but that's because they're incorrectly, purposefully did not date Egypt correctly. Egypt actually goes back way further. Right. So there's actually more ancient scriptures there. So then when I started doing events, I was, I was kind of just all over the place with exploring spirituality, ancient history, not until like it was really actually in a plant medicine ceremony in 2016 that I realized why I was doing all this stuff. And basically Portal to Ascension is exploring through thousands of topics the root of it all. And the root of it all goes to why we're all intrinsically connected. What is unites us? Why are we in this together? Why do we come here in the first place? The root of it all is really a universal question of why this all exists. And on one level, it, you can, there's the level of the earthly experience of why earth was actually created. And then there's the level of why creation even started existing in the first place, which I feel source wanted to experience itself infinitely and as something other than what it was, the first paradox, the first universal paradox, the duality. And through that, all these other reflections started being created, which is why source doesn't judge all the drama, all the craziness, because if source comes from pure light and wants to experience itself, something other than that's going to lead way for all the chaos and the craziness occurred. So what we do with portal to ascension I would say like on almost every topic, topics that you wouldn't even think have anything to do that really is exploring what the root is of our existence. Yeah, man. Portaltoascension.org. The link is in the description for folks to follow up with you. You have more time? We can keep going here. more time. Okay, cool. Because I do have yeah. a few more questions. I don't want to wrap up uh, just yet. But uh, when it comes to this world that we're living in, it does... Mm -hmm feel relieving to find out that the chaos is purposeful that the the chaos is leading towards maybe a better state of things and i wonder how you feel about this scientism and the idea of randomness because it does throw a lot of what we're talking about up in the air for maybe a more logically minded person who thinks like yeah but you know the Big Bang and it's all random chance and Jupiter and Saturn just ended up there. And it's all it's lucky that Jupiter and Saturn are there because you're right, Neil, the Earth would be shattered without them. But that's not because Jupiter and Saturn are our friends. They're just lifeless. It happened to be there. Rocks. Yeah, exactly. Like they're just big, huge bodies of matter in, yeah. in space. So what are your thoughts on that side of this kind of ignorance that we all kind of volunteer for because there is this sort of impulse for towards a lot of people to go towards that materialistic explanation of things well there's one the first thing that comes to my mind is what i spoke about the paradox of it's not all grand design it's also random at the same time because the only way you could believe it to be that you have the opportunity free will and all these things which is the whole other conversation is to see everything as random but ultimately even scientifically speaking we're now realizing that there's infinite parallel realities and all possibilities and outcomes exist. So therefore, it's a paradox and it's not free will. It's predetermined free will because every possibility that you could ever do exists. But since every possibility that you could ever do exists, it's also free will because you get to choose infinitely. It's paradoxical, right? right? The universe is infinite, but our finite minds that are also infinite need to believe that outside something has got to be something else. Oh yeah, there's the multiverse, but the universe is also infinite. 
wait a second, that's a paradox. How can there be an outside a multiverse and universe outside of us when this universe goes on forever? You're a solid being. Yet I see, but I see you are a vibrating frequency machine. You're just frequencies vibrating, but I see you as a solid being, right? Those questions in itself start making you wonder what is this? And maybe everything that we're seeing isn't what we really think it is. Entanglement, right? Non-locality in quantum physics. Being able to pull information from one part of space-time and collecting data from the other side of the universe instantaneously. All data, all information is stored infinitely all the time. DNA, they're realizing that within DNA, they're able to unlock the secrets of the universe. This is also mainstream science is coming out. How does that happen in the random universe where we're just animals that just got created? Why do we all have this spark of consciousness within us? So I would say that there's enough evidence to suggest that there's not randomness. And then the ultimate question of it is all, is the human life random? Well, there's so much information on the fact that humans became Homo sapien from Homo erectus in a matter of days, right? There, the reason why Darwinism is still a theory is because of two reasons. The first one is that blossoming flowers went from non-blossoming flowers overnight. Flowers didn't blossom. I mean, I think that's the word, right? When they basically blossom and the spores go out and they pregnant yeah. plants. Yeah. yeah, they weren't doing that, okay? And then all of a sudden, on the fossil record, plants were doing it. Mm. So Pollination. How yeah, how were they pollinating before? And then how did that just happen overnight? That's an actual thing within Darwinism. It's a reason why it's still a theory. The second thing is... Homo sapiens, there is no transitionary fossils from Homo erectus to Homo sapien. We just were one species, and then we were another one, <laughs> right? The reason why they still call things a theory are for what, two reasons. One, they don't want you to know the truth about it, and two, they haven't found the real. They haven't found the reason to make it actually a fact, right? For example, quantum theory is still called quantum theory because if they call it quantum fact, then we start investing in the reality of our quantum world. Damn, they're like. Six, six sicknesses will be cured. Technologies will be released. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. Does that kind of speak to why we're not random? I love it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I do, I appreciate the balance of it is random and it's predetermined randomness in the sense yeah. that I have every probable option in a sort of fan-like trajectory in front of me. There are ancillary trajectories, maybe really bad ones, maybe really good ones. I might hit the lottery. But for the most part, it's within this kind of bandwidth of choices. And yeah. unless something really major happens, I'm going to stay on a certain trajectory like most people. But, yeah, it's it's one of these things. Obviously, you don't have an answer for it. Who could? But it is one of these things that I love to contemplate, like, is there a parallel reality Neil out there who's actually the host of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and then a, par a parallel reality Mark out there who's now a guest on that yeah, show yeah. that's hosted by Neil? Like that's simultaneously maybe going on while this is going on, but we could never know. I mean, do you think of predetermined randomness in that way where there's all these multifaceted realities going on at once? Right. And that goes into the whole thing of like, this is like a really advanced computer program. Right? And so there's multiple things here. I got to write them down. Okay. So this whole thing that I said earlier about source wanted to create us in his image, right? Uh, her image or its image that it was the original spark of 
I need to experience something other than me. I need to create in my image. Look at all the ancient texts. They all have something about creating in their image, right? And of course, the number one known one, God created us in his image and his likeness, which actually was goddesses created us in his image and in their image and their likeness. That was the original text. So when it comes to that, it seems like every sentient being, this has been also said by channelers and other people connected to ETs, when a being becomes sentient, they want to create in their image. Okay. So what are we doing on earth? We're creating robots, we're creating computers, we're creating AI. We're literally creating in our image. The spark of source is within us. It's so sweet irony slash metaphoric, like freaking mind blowing that we are literally creating what is happening to us in our world subconsciously when it comes to the AI and all that stuff for sure. But then when it comes to computers, video games, hard drives, what's a hard drive? You open up a hard drive, you can't pull out a document. We created a device that has a dimension of information in it. We literally created another dimension with data in it. That's what we are, right? So it's like when, if you want to see what's happening to us, look at what we're doing in this world. You know what I mean? So I'm going to do a video pretty soon, like a really epic video called Are We in a Simulation? And so like the whole concept is when I tell people that we're, this is a holographic universe, we're in a simulation, I used to get some pushback because people start thinking that, well, that means we don't have souls. That means we're not organic, that this is real, right? It's a paradox. It is and it isn't, right? And so, but the understanding is this is a very conscious, so I don't say we're in a simulation anymore. I say we're in a holographic, conscious, organic, sentient simulation, (laughs) I, I do those disclaimers, dude. I appreciate the qualifiers because, yeah, I kind of, I'm an opponent in many ways of lazy simulation theory. And that's the kind of acuteness we need from simulation yeah. theory. I mean, what's a hologram? Okay. A hologram is fractalizing light that perceives as a certain image. What are we on the quantum level? We're vibrating light frequencies. The quantum re- uh, world we're realizing now are the subatomic particles is we're made of the quantum frequencies. But these quantum frequencies, they go in and out of perceivable reality, just like a freaking hologram, right? So we are on some level, some sort of fractalized light experiencing ourselves here, right? And I mean, I'm not sure where I was going with this whole thing. You asked a question, but I just went down the rabbit hole with it. No, it's fine. I have a, something to add mm-hmm. I, or to follow up with yeah, another question possibly. When it comes to computers and what you just mentioned about how we've created a sort of analogy of ourselves with hard drives, right? We store information, memories, thoughts, dreams, such a complex uh, uh, range of things that can be stored in a human brain. And as time goes on, we're doing the same thing with hard drives. I mean, now you can fit whole virtual realities inside of these things. So... Is that not a dream in some ways? I mean, it definitely feels like we're recreating that. Right. Now, crystals are an inextricable part of this whole technology. We can't have computers without crystals. Yep, yep. One aspect of ancient history that's always really stuck out to me as something that maybe hasn't gotten enough attention, the attention it deserves is crystal skulls, right? It is obviously Indiana Jones has talked about it in this movie, but they're real. They're kind of unexplained. People don't really have the technology to create them. So how did these crystal skulls 
arrive on the planet. Is it possible that these crystal skulls are like a incredibly advanced version of what we're playing around with now with these tiny little crystals inside of a plastic and aluminum or tin, whatever laptops are made out of? Is it possible that these crystal skulls are a way more advanced version of what we're kind of playing with now? Yeah, I feel that the... Well, we know that crystals can hold data right. information and quartz crystals is the best form of that. And these skulls have stories of being from ancient civilizations and actually storing the data from them that might not even be through plugged in through electrical nodes, but could have been telepathically even mm. infused with information. Right. So now here's the trip is I'm doing a crystal skulls conference, bro, in Sedona in November, in November 17th, 18, 19, we're bringing the skulls back together, man. First time since 2010, epic, huge crystal skulls conference. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, folks, this isn't acting. I had no clue that Neil was doing this. So let me get this straight. Can you come out to it? Oh, I would love to. It's in yeah, November. November 17th. Okay. Wow. All right. So, yeah, please do. And I'll post that in the description so folks can also join in if they, uh, if they can make it. But so all of the crystal skulls that are currently known yeah. are you owned by people who are going to be attending or how does that get is one of them that won't be okay huh yeah that gets into a whole story that i'm not even trying to get into uh-oh <laughs> but yeah because not all of them vibe out with each other right put it that way so we attempted to get them all together all the ones that we could because they're also ones that are ancient that aren't known on the now are these uh, held by collections or very wealthy people i mean how do you arrange something like this i imagine the crystal skulls must be in like lockdown situations where they're kept under lock and key right so there's some of them that are owned by governments most of them we don't know but there's a couple of them in the british museum mm. and i just moved to london i'm here right now I moved five days ago so i'm like 20 minutes from the british museum so oh, i'm gonna wow. go look but a lot of things in the British Museum aren't for show. They just have them locked up in archives. Hmm. I think the Vatican probably has some. But in regards to the ones that we know about, no, they're all owned by individual people. Hmm. Okay. Some of them are very expensive to get. Some of them were found, like the one from the Mayan pyramid, the person that has it found it there. Huh. So, so this is like uh, this is like a car it's club. Funny. Like a car club where people just go find a parking lot and they all have the same car and they go and hang out with their cool Corvette or whatever. It, that's mm -hmm. what Crystal Skull owners do. They go yeah. bring their crystals. They call themselves the Crystal Skull Keepers, right? Wow. And they've the stories, like, because we did an online Crystal Skulls conference a year and a half ago, okay? Right. And so we had, like, maybe, like, seven or eight skulls on there. And at the end of it, at the panel, we were all talking and we're like, Man, the skulls haven't got together since 2010. And then they're like, you guys should put it on. And I was like, let's do it. So that was really what started the whole thing. And so the Crystal Skull Keepers, their stories, man, like I actually am releasing on our YouTube the presentations from the Crystal Skulls Conference to promote our live one next month. And you hear the stories of how they found the skull, the synchronicities that brought them there, the communications they had with the skulls. All of them really were heard. And the skulls called them in to be the keepers of it. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I apologize to the skulls for comparing them to cars, but <laughs> they <laughs> really don't care, dude. This <laughs> is no, this is some deep stuff. The keepers of the skulls. And I'm grateful that you invited me. Yeah. I'd be happy to yeah. make it down there if I can. Now, when it comes to 
owning a skull like that, do these folks experience any strange phenomena on like a daily, weekly, monthly basis because of owning, like outside of maybe their telekinetic, telepathic connection with the crystal skull, like is the crystal skull affecting their reality in ways that maybe they don't intend? Oh, that they don't intend? Well, like, is there any maybe unintended consequences of owning a crystal skull, I guess? like I haven't heard any negative experiences, but there's probably things that occur, like things coming in the dream state, realizations, Mm -hmm. maybe even a realization about a person that you thought was okay, but really the skull is telling you the truth about this person. With great power becomes great responsibility, right? Or comes great responsibility. That's sort of what I was leaning towards i mean to be a a keeper of a crystal skull i mean that's a tremendous honor wow yeah wow it's fascinating stuff man so as we wrap up here something was on my mind earlier that i do want to ask you maybe i asked you the first time you're on the show i don't know if i was really researching this kind of stuff back then but uh, there's a group called the delshow group or Charles Delshaw and some folks around. Have you ever heard of the Sonora Arrow Club? No. Okay, so I'll briefly give you a rundown and maybe you can share your thoughts. But uh, there was a group of men in the 1800s who lived out kind of on the western frontier of what was going to become the United States. And the rumor is that they're building Zeppelins and other types of uh, dirigibles, air-lifted aircraft right with uh, oxygen or whatever not oxygen but you know some sort of gas powered gas levitated airship and the thought is that this was going on in the 1840s 50s 60s a hundred years from then you have these slick anti-gravity saucers flying through the air some people are thinking what if this is like evidence that there there have been a group of people developing this technology in secret the same way we've gone from the model t to the lamborghini over the past hundred years they went from this like basically hot air balloon to flying saucers because they were working on this stuff in secret the real kind of tantalizing fact about this whole group is they were mostly comprised of Germans, German Americans, and they allegedly created a breakaway civilization. And when you consider that the Germans a few decades after this were doing what they were doing in Europe with the war effort and building aircrafts and technology, some researchers have suggested that The Germans created some kind of breakaway civilization using these aircrafts, and then the Nazis kind of escaped into that after World War II had ended. And that's why we have Germans in South America, Nazis in Antarctica, allegedly, and so on and so forth. But the thought is that this Sonora Aero Club may be evidence of people experimenting with that technology and i guess that's why before i was kind of insinuating like do you think that it could, these ufos could just be operated by groups of people that we're just not aware of maybe breakaway civilizations governments that aren't a part of the un but exist without a nation yeah so i know i have never heard of that but i have heard of parts of the stories of like breakaway civilization and all that and i feel that all of it could actually exist mm. and 
there's enough evidence and testimonies and experiences out there that yeah. also speaking about definitely interacting with ETs mm. and landings and interactions with them in person or etherically, right? So I firmly believe that. I feel there's enough evidence for that. But I don't doubt that there's been all types of secret things happening on the planet, mm. including inner Earth, that there's the whole thing of ultra-terrestrials. And ultra-terrestrials are beings that were humans on our Earth that after certain falls from grace and after certain wars and things occurred, they made, because we've gone through evolutions of consciousness. We've gone through devolution to evolution. We've been advanced many times. Atlantis is one of those stories. And some of these civilizations actually went into parts of the earth where they hid away from the rest of the civilizations which were devolving and they continued the technology, right? So I believe that's happened. So I wouldn't doubt that could have occurred even more recently. That even some people talk about. I don't know if you've ever heard of Tartaria. Yeah. But some people talk about that, like around the kind of same timeline that you're giving, like a hundred years later, that they had flying, trip, flying cars and all that stuff based on the technology, and then that was completely wiped from the history books, right? And rewritten, and we lost, like I don't know, lost like I think it was a thousand years of history completely wiped out, something like that, right? So all I know is the rabbit hole goes so deep, man, that. Even though I'm a skeptic at heart, I'm open to so many different possibilities. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt that last point you made about flying cars and whatnot. As much as I'm a skeptic uh, when it comes to a lot of the Tartaria theory stuff, we've discussed it a ton on this show. Uh, There was this place in Bridgeport not too far from me, like two towns over, called the... uh, I think it was like the Barnum and Bailey Aerodrome or something like that. It was connected to the circus, and uh, they allowed people just regular people to fly their own aircraft in this like aerodrome thing so you have to wonder like how many just civilians had aircraft back then and could afford to just go and take it for a spin around this track which doesn't seem to make much sense i wonder maybe if there were something else going on a smaller flying aircraft but anyways neil we've gone down so many tangents i love it and you cover so much ground on portal to ascension it's just it's a great pleasure to have you here to go down all these tangents because you're just a repository of knowledge and you're on the right track when it comes to a lot of this stuff so i appreciate you coming through and uh obviously you got the skull conference bringing the skulls back together what else is going on in the next few months with you you got other stuff to promote i'm sure outside of Portal to Ascension, the podcast? Yeah. So I'm not sure when this is going to broadcast. Within but, the next uh, two weeks. All right. Well, this weekend we're doing the, the first ever, I would say, two-day, 22-hour conference on Atlantis. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. 11 hours a day, two days. So when people see this, it probably would have happened already. So you can go to our website and sign up for the replay. But we're going deep, like, pun intended, deep into Atlantis, dude. And like it's basically spiritual to ancient history to archaeological evidence like full circle right mm. so that's something coming up we just launched our new website thousand of hours of free content on there we have an iphone and android app coming out as well so you're able to stream you're going to be able to cast our footage straight from your phone to your tv so the those are some things that we're building and we also started our tour agency we're taking two groups of people to egypt in september we have already sold out so we're booking people for the next year as well so just kind of building, man, I'm picking up momentum more ambitious than I've ever been because I really see hope, dude. I, I, when I see chaos and craziness and corruption being exposed, it doesn't really f- give, bring fear within me. It just makes me realize that now is the time for us to really like do something about it and to ride this wave. 
So just a lot of big things in store. And then on top of that, I just came up with my poetry out al- my poetry book. And my hip hop album is gonna be released pretty soon as well. So that's what I'm doing right now. Wow. What how long have you been a hip hop artist? Are you, you rapping, just, producing? What's the sit? Yeah, well my number one thing is freestyle rapping. I'm great, pretty good freestyle rapper, but I create music and I write a lot of lyrics of like over a thousand songs. Wow. And a spoken word. So I was doing 2008 is when I first performed at an open mic. I've done thousands of open mics. And at most of my conferences online and in person, I do a, a set with music. But I started freestyling in 2001. And now this new album coming out is actually, my book is called Planet Earth, with eight songs in it. And the album is actually me rapping those eight songs in the book. So they're coming out together. And it's called Planet Earth. And basically it's about a soul coming from the black hole in the center of the galaxy astrally traveling to earth getting stuck into the matrix of earth and then all the eight songs are the cycles and cycles of incarnations on earth and then the last song is the ascension of the planet so it's kind of like a theme album yeah i love that wow please send me the links to that i'll include that in the description for people and uh, with your permission maybe even play a little bit of the music so that'd be amazing yeah it's gonna be i'll send you my poetry book but the songs will be produced in about a few weeks awesome Awesome. Well, we'll have to have you back on and talk more about that. I, uh, yeah, rap is a big part of this show in a lot of ways with my intro and some of the guests I've had on and just the fact that yeah, underground rap was a big, uh, informational red pill for me when I was a kid, I got into all this music and it was telling rappers that you were into. So army of the Pharaohs kind of covers a lot of ground. Cause that's a group of a bunch of people, but within that group, Vinnie Paz, yeah. immortal technique, uh, yeah, yeah. dead prez. Oh, the last two aren't in army of the Pharaohs, but there are so many rappers that I, uh, illogic is another one. I love illogic. Yeah, and yeah, it was hardcore underground hip hop was like yeah, once I read about it, yeah, oh, like uh, so, idea or what sixty five. Oh yeah, was, idea and abilities is a big yeah, one he, for me. He was my favorite artist, man. Like, yeah. Idea. Well, him in that whole like uh, I forget who atmosphere is another guy yeah. that's kind of in his area. Ideas pass, but that whole like Minneapolis crowd of rappers is very unique. Yeah. I love those yeah, guys. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, wow. See, look at this. We got so much ground to cover, man. We only scratched the surface. Yeah. (laughs) Let's reschedule uh, another podcast soon. We'll get into maybe some more of the music stuff. And uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you, man. It's just really great to have you back on. Thank you so much. Dude, this was really fun. I appreciate you. Of course. Well, folks listening, please, the links are in the description, portal to ascension.org. Go and check out the conference. Go to some of the live events. Maybe even uh, buy some tickets. 2024 Egypt trip. What sites are you going to visit in Egypt? The main situation, the pyramid I mean, complex? There's also there's some other places that aren't some main ones, We but we also have private access to the King's Chamber, the Sarion. So we're going to be doing wow. some activations. And since we're doing two tours to Egypt, we're going to the King's Chamber twice in each tour. So I get to go to the King's Chamber four times in one month, bro. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, wow. I have my friend's coming who's a producer, and we're going to be producing hip-hop instrumentals and rapping and recording in some of the sites. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, well, we got to get into that next time you're on the show. Yeah. All right, Neil. Well, like I said, folks, support this man. He's doing great things. And until next time, uh, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Thank you.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is our conversation with the great Neil Guar from Portal to Ascension. Org. Of course, you can go to crystalskullconference.com. The link is in the description. Maybe we'll be there. Maybe we'll see each other there. Go and hit the links, of course, while you're there. Sign up on the Patreon or the Substack to hear the first episode of Strange New Haven, The Order of Skull and Bones, my new podcast, bonus podcast documentary series as I'm still in the midst of researching and working on the second episode, believe it or not. Uh, don't be dismayed a new episode is on the way so sign up on the patreon give me some encouragement not that i need any because i'm getting this done trust me but i can't do this show without you so please sign up on the patreon the rockfin the Substack. you can sign up for a synchro wisdom dialogue by going to link tr.ee slash mystic mark podcast and sign up Sign up to talk to me, whatever you want, whether it's uh, an episode topic, some suggestions, some questions, some advice, whatever it is. Of course, I am an artist. My girlfriend is an artist, and we have art available on our Ko-Fi store. The link is in the description. You can get a hand-wrapped crystal necklace made by yours truly. And my lovely girlfriend Tara has some wonderful paintings that are available on the Ko-Fi store. If you're interested in those, just reach out to me and I will send you some pictures because there are more than what's on the store. Um, There are more that we have besides the ones on the store, I should say. We also have merch. You get mugs, t-shirts, pants, all kinds of cool stuff on the merch store. Or you can just support the show with a one-time donation and get a shout-out. Shout-out to Brando, who picked up a copy of my ebook, uh, The Scene, Issue 1. You could buy all three of the first scenes for one low price. Or you can buy the third one, Scene, Aesthetic, in Strange New Haven. Just came out. Uh, help fund the show with a one-time donation on Venmo, PayPal, Cash App. It is up to you, folks. Please, I cannot do the show without you, the lovely listeners of this great podcast. And of course, our number one sponsor, The Hit Kit. Garrett was just a guest. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go and check that episode out. Uh, you can find him at hitkit.us or The Hit Kit on Instagram. He's got a bunch of fantastic products for any stoner, smoker of any kind. Keep your blunts, joints, spliffs, cigarettes safe right there in your hit kit next to your lighter. It's a great product, and you can use the promo code CRAZY to save 15% off at checkout. And that's it, folks. I hope if you're listening in the moment, in the now, that you have a very happy 4th of July weekend. Be safe. Don't blow yourself up with fireworks. My father did that one year. I was very young, he blew up some fireworks, and I watched this um, firework fall over and shoot him right in the ass. He had a big black spot on his uh, jeans, burned a hole right through, luckily I took cover, Uh, but yeah, that was one hell of a 4th of July, so if you're out there shooting off fireworks, be careful. If you listen to this show in the future, well, hey. Thanks for listening. Go and check out the episode that we've done 
already with Neil Guar, uh, our first conversation. I believe that's episode one. Uh, let's just, why, why would we guess when we could just look it up real quick? Hold on a second, folks. Episode 144, Neil Guar, Ancient Alien Bloodlines, Nephilim, Paracas, Skulls, Star Trek, Intergalactic Council, and the Portal to Ascension. That came out about a year and a few months ago, March 7th, 2022. So, wow, 144. Can you believe that we're already uh, more than 150 episodes away from that? Almost double what we were, uh, how many episodes we had last year. So that's incredible. Wouldn't be doing it without you, the listeners who tune in each week. Thank you so much for being here and immerse yourself in the moment, wherever you are in the now. Nothing. 
thing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain, hardly feeling like a person, but the vibes are perfect. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain, nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 